So if you will, please turn to your Bible, in your Bibles, to Luke chapter 6. We will have the verses on the screen as well for you to follow along with, but it would also be great for you to have that open in the Scripture. We're continuing our look into what it looks like to have new life in Jesus' kingdom. You could say that we're asking the question, what is it like to live now in light of and under the reign of King Jesus in his kingdom? What is it like for us now to live in light of that reality? So this is a short six-week series where we're studying Jesus' Sermon on the Plain. Sermon seems to have a lot in common with the longer Sermon on the Mount that many of you would be familiar with from Matthew 5 through 7. But the focus of the series has our attention on living under the reign and blessing of King Jesus. Living under the reign and blessing of King Jesus. And the focus of the Sermon on the Plain shows Jesus' authority as King to call us to follow him in the manner that he has told us. Going all the way back to our Easter series and continuing since then, we've been reminded that The king has come to bless and to purify a people. We're his people. Those of us who are following him, trusting him. He's purified us by his own presence being here among us. He gave his life. Ultimately being the culmination of his purification of his people, right? Gave his life on the cross to make us holy by his blood. And we draw from that reality, God dwelling among mankind in Christ to redeem us from our sin. We draw from that that we are to live holy and pleasing lives before him as we await Jesus' return. That's what he came to do, to purify and bless the people, to reconcile the people to God. Then let's live worthy of that calling. I was shocked last night in... Maybe not shocked. I was impressed last night in reading through Fox's Book of Martyrs. One man, John, uh, Dr. Hess, I forget his first name. Hess was a man alive in the 1300s, and he would not recant trusting in Jesus and preaching justification um, in Christ alone. And as he was being tortured, as he was being burned at the stake, Hess prayed for his persecutors, those that were taking his life and and had him burning. He prayed for God to have mercy on them and to not hold it against them, echoing the words of Christ. So we come to Luke chapter 6, and we're like, Lord, how do you get that kind of love? How do I have that kind of love for somebody that's taking my life from me? How can I show Christ like Hess showed. Now recall that so far in Luke chapter 6, we, what we've seen in the chapter up through verse 19 showed that Jesus has authority as he speaks and acts with authority. To, to, it, it, he's calling us as he speaks to the truth to be a new community. To be new, made new in him. Verses 17 to 19 show that he was using that authority to make a new community, a new group of people united around Jesus and his teaching. 
And then he reveals himself to this new community, showing his merciful character. He gets these witnesses, especially the 12 that he had appointed as apostles to be messengers, that he could then send out into the world to continue showing what he is like and telling the truth and witnessing to what he had done. And that's how we have the scriptures, because these men were sent. Thank God for the Bible. Then in verses 20 to 26 last week, we found great encouragement for those of us that are believers. The encouragement comes because the king has spoken with authority, declaring that the kingdom is ours. It is, it is ours by grace through faith. For those that treasure Jesus more than riches and food and favor with mankind and instead are willing to receive the opposite in this life, looking forward to the next that, you are blessed in that. Yours is the kingdom of God because God is your treasure. He has your heart. So who has our heart? Is it the things of the world? And do we treasure Jesus and eternity with him? Act life. We're in a great place to ask, okay, so how, how is that going to impact life now? If we treasure Jesus, if he's our greatest treasure, if he has our heart, how will that show itself to us now? Luke 6, verses 27 to 36. How can we tell where our heart is? Now, now, now you agree with me, right? Surely if all of this is true that, that Jesus has said, all of it's true about his life, death, and resurrection, then it would impact life. It, would, it wouldn't leave us just the same, right? There needs to be, the, the longing of our heart says, we need to change, we want to change. How can I? Wouldn't the greatest truth in the world bring about that change? So, read with me, if you will, Luke 6, 27 to 36. But I say to you who hear... Love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who abuse you. To the one who strikes you on the cheek, offer the other also. And from one who takes away your cloak, do not withhold your tunic either. Give to everyone who begs from you. And from the one who takes away your goods, do not demand them back. And as you wish that others would do to you, do so to them. If you love those who love you, what benefit is that to you? For even sinners love those who love them. And if you do good to those who do good to you, what benefit is that to you? For even sinners do the same. And if you lend to those from whom you expect to receive, what credit is that to you? Even sinners lend to sinners to get back the same amount. But... Love your enemies and do good and lend, expecting nothing in return. And your reward will be great. And you will be sons of the Most High, for He is kind to the ungrateful and the evil. Be merciful, even as your Father is merciful. Let's pray together. Father, we need you this morning. Father, this word from 
Our Lord is a strong word. Honest, we hear it and we know we can't do it. And so we can't do it on our own. You have to do it in us, Lord. So come this morning and use this time together as we, as we look to you, as we remember what it is that you've called us to be as your holy people. And as we look to Jesus, do this work in us, we ask. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so notice in these verses that we've just read that Jesus is calling this new community of disciples to love even their enemies. Even their enemies. Even those that would burn us at the stake, so to speak. To love the enemies. He's not calling us to the appearance, the mere appearance of love. Something that can be faked on social media. He's calling us to genuine love. Something that's Beyond what can be done in the natural flesh, in our own strength. He's calling us not to looking good just on social media. He's calling us not to just save face in front of your MC. That's for me. Not to looking like you love others, love when, just when others are watching. Not just to love for the, those that are easy to love. But those are our tendency. Instead, he calls us to real supernatural love, a love for enemies. So at first hearing, his listeners would have been stunned, i got to imagine. Right? Love your enemies. Not just love God's community. Not just love the people of God. This sounds upside down again, Jesus. It's an upside-down love and shocking. To bless those who curse us is the opposite of what we expect in our natural state. So, does the world teach that kind of love? No. This is a dog-eat-dog world. It, this is it, it's cutthroat and prudent. Best, we have these business-like transactions where we do something that's going to be prudent and just help us in the long term selfishly. Jesus is calling us to more than that. So let's look at this under the heading of King Jesus asks us to love even our enemies. Again, read verses 27 to 28 with me. But I say to you who hear, love your enemies, do good to those who hate you, bless those who curse you, pray for those who abuse you. These are four commands in two verses. So we have to ask, how do they relate? Is there something connecting these four Commands, or do they just build upon one another in some way? Are they independent? So what I see here is that the, the four groups of people that we are called to do these actions toward, those seem to be re- very related. They, we're called to respond to enemies with love and our haters and those who curse us and those that are abusing us, which are all very similar categories, right? I think we could lump those underneath the category of love. So what about the commands? Love, pray for, bless, and even even show mercy to those people. So are we talking about the same sort of thing? Is, Is this related? And I think it is. I think what we've got here is love for enemies that's being fleshed out in some specific ways. So you can imagine, right? Love your enemies. Okay, so 
you know, if I want to pass it, just kind of get around that, maybe I'll say, well, I didn't do this bad thing back to him, you know, but I did these other things. You know, that, that's my twisted heart wanting to say, well, that's love. Jesus says, no, I'm going to clarify for you what love for enemies looks like by saying you're going to do good. You're going to pray for those who persecute you and so on. So let's look at the first commandment, the countercultural command to love your enemies a little more deeply. Again, verse 27, but I say to you who hear, love your enemies, love even your enemies. And why do I say that that's a countercultural kind of command? It's because in the world that we have, it's not natural. So God's got to do it. God's got to move his new community in a different direction than the culture goes. We are to be a set-apart people, a sanctified people. And in this new community, we're to, we are enabled to do this thing through faith in Jesus, by walking in his power through his spirit. And we'll talk more about that later. So maybe you're asking another question. What, what is this love? Is it merely an emotion? Is there action to it? And that's where Jesus, I think, elaborates for us here in these other three commands. How do we show countercultural love to enemies? Second part of verse 27. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who abuse you. Do good, bless, and pray. How do we, as this new community that Jesus is setting up, united to Christ our King, serving Him and His purposes in this world, how do we love our enemies by those things? Doing good to them. Doing good to them and blessing them. They expect us to curse them like they did us, those that are hating and acting on their hatred for us. Romans 12, 14 says, Bless those who curse you. Bless and do not curse. The Apostle Paul echoes what Jesus here taught on how to love our enemies. We could read 1 Peter 3.16, but let me keep moving. Praying for them, asking them, asking God to show these people the grace that God has shown to us. God, don't return to them what they deserve for this. Don't return to them what they've done to me. God, show them grace. Draw them to yourself. Transform their lives and get glory for yourself through that. Well, now... Jesus, can you make this even more concrete for us? Can you, can, you, can you help this take on flesh for me? And I think Jesus does that by providing examples to us. Examples of this being lived out. Luke 6, 29. To one who strikes you on the cheek, offer the other also. And from the one who takes away your cloak, do not withhold your tunic either. Give to everyone who begs from you. And from the one who takes away your goods, do not demand them back. So how? How do we do good, pray, bless, and love our enemies? Offering them the other cheek. Showing them that we live for something more than worldly comfort. More than worldly ease. Offering them our other possessions which they have not yet taken from us. Showing that there's a greater hope than what we have in possessions here on earth. There's a greater hope that awaits us. 
by giving generously to the truly needy. Rather than acting like this world is all that we have to live for, so we might as well get as much as we can now and keep it for ourselves. This shows Jesus' work, Jesus' grace to us. Giving generously to the truly needy and not demanding restoration of what's been taken away from us. Worldly goods as if we don't have treasure in heaven. We do have treasure in heaven. So this stuff doesn't matter. We can give. We can be set free to love enemies and even bless them. So the idea is not taking one's rights in hand to like strike back or take back from the other. We're to be a countercultural people. We're to point people to something that's way, way better by loving our enemies. So I think that this is what we've seen lived out in some of the pro-life demonstrators that we've heard about recently. Standing outside the, the courthouse in D.C. and being spat upon, having salt thrown in their faces. You know, at least some of those, I think, have been acting in love toward these people that really are hating what they stand for, who they are. They've taken it. And they've still offered lovingly the gospel to them. I'm not sure that that's been the case of all the people up there that have, that have done that. But there are some. All right, back to our text. Now, then comes a summary statement. Or better, maybe it's said, the broader principle from which your, 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 the command of loving your enemies comes. It's this, the countercultural golden rule. The countercultural golden rule. Read verse 31. And as you wish that others would do to you, do so to them. Do so to them. The broader principle that applies not just to enemies, but from which we get the command, on which the command stands, do to others as you would have them do to you, now supports everything that's come before it. Jesus calls us, as we would wish others do, the golden rule for to them. The golden rule from which Jesus puts the emphasis. So, so, so let me say it this way. Some sayings kind of like that were around already before Jesus. But they were mostly, don't do to others what you don't want them to do to you. Jesus seems to bring it to a whole other level where he says, do to others what you want them to do to you. So not just avoiding the bad, but doing good to them. Sacrificing for them. Pointing them. Wouldn't you want people to point you to Christ if you didn't already know him? Jesus says, do the positive things as well. Do to others what you would want them to do to you. Do the good. And again, this is not merely a business type decision. You do it if it's going to benefit you in some worldly sense. If the person's going to return it back to you, do good to them. Do as you, as, as they, as you would wish them to do to you. No, even if it wouldn't be returned, even if they hate you. So when you're fighting against God and his ways, don't you need somebody to point you to Jesus? Direct you toward repentance? So help others walk back toward God, knowing his love and forgiveness for them. 
When you sin against another, you want to be forgiven. So forgive. When a child's acting foolishly, love them like you would want to be loved. Like God loves us, his foolish children, disciplining us in order to draw us back to God. For their good, for our good, so that we don't stay in our foolishness. Show mercy. Love even when it's undeserved. Do to others as you would wish that they would do to you. When you are thinking clearly with the sanctified mind of Christ, what would you want done for you? Do that. Do that for others. All right, so Jesus then points to us. Again, he's being very, very clear. And so what he's going to do now is show us what countercultural love is not. And you heard it in the verses that we read. We'll read again. Love is not loving those who will love us back. Love's not limited to that, loving those who will love us back. Look at verse 32. If you love those who love you, what benefit is that to you? For even sinners love those who love them. So maybe even we could say that there's a kind of love that we have for mother, father, sister, brother, family, close friends. There's a kind of love that falls short in Jesus' eyes. This is, there, there's a kind of love that people outside of the body of Christ can have. You can have apart from the enablement of the Holy Spirit for one another. And Jesus is calling us to more than that. Love those who love you? No, more so. Sinners can do that. Jesus elaborates further in verse 33. Love is not merely doing good in order to have good returned to you by men. Verse 33 says, And if you do good to those who do good to you, what benefit is that to you? For even sinners do the same. That's not the unique love that Jesus is talking about. Doing good to those who do good to you. Quid pro quo. Citizens of this new kingdom can do better than that. Lastly, love is not lending to others who can do the same for you. Verse 34. And if you lend to those from whom you expect to receive, what credit is that to you? Even sinners lend to sinners to get back the same amount. Or... As I've read, this could also mean it just says the same. So the same action in order to get the same action back of of lending. So even sinners lend to sinners to get back the same. Lending to be repaid later is nothing special. It doesn't indicate that God has a hold of your heart. Lending money or your truck or watching someone else's kid just to be paid back later with the same That alone does not demonstrate that you're a citizen of the kingdom of God. Jesus says even sinners, even those outside of the body of Christ that are doing good things. It's not that those things are bad, but those people outside can do that. It doesn't take the special enablement of the Holy Spirit to do that. Now those three characteristics are not unique parts of the king's people. So that's what we're called to. Loving in a, in a way that's not possible outside of uh, the body of Christ. Not out, apart from the Holy Spirit. So, if you're like me, 
when you hear something like that kind of thing, a high calling, a command, something that you're, you're called to do, you think, wow, I haven't done that before. I haven't done that to that degree. Help me, God. I want, I, I, I want to do it, but I, I can't do it on my own. I struggle to do this. I struggle. Have I actually loved enemies? Do I even have enemies to love? Help me do this very thing that you're calling me to do. I want to honor you. I want to walk in a manner that's worthy of the calling that I have in Christ. And because that's where I am, I find the rest of this text absolutely beautiful. So I want you to listen. I don't want you to miss it. Jesus grounds all that we've got in, in these, these verses above. He grounds all of this for us, saying, here's the beautiful truth that will enable this to happen. What is, we'll look at this under the heading, what is the, the source for countercultural love? Now, those of you that have been around New City for a little while will hear some familiarity in this. Uh, we talk about gospel fluency because we trace things in, from the fruit of things that we should do down into who God has made us, what he's done for us, and, and who we are in Christ. It's not unique or, or, or original to, to New City Church. Jesus is doing it right here. So listen, listen to this. Um, so we'll hear the summary of everything that has been said so far in the previous verses, and then we're going to hear the motivation that God supplies to us for this. Verse 35. But love your enemies, and do good, and lend, expecting nothing in return. So far, that's the summary, right? Now listen to this. And your reward will be great, and you will be sons of the Most High, for He is kind to the ungrateful and the evil be merciful, even as your Father is merciful. Do you hear it? The motivations, the grounding, the rooting in, in who God is and what He's done for us and who He's made us. So, so what's He say? What are the motivations? Y'all can talk to me. What are the Look back at verse 35 towards the end. You'll be sons of the Most High. You'll be sons of the Most High. You're going to show what God is like. You're going to prove, you're going to display that in eternity, God has been at work in you. You've been reflecting, even if it's in a small way, you've been reflecting His own character. You're sons of the Most High, sons and daughters of the King. What's the other one in there? Your reward will be great. Right? You're going to have a reward, not in this life necessarily, but in the one to come, in heaven, in the new heavens and new earth, when we're with God forever, your reward will be great. You've got something to look forward to, even if it costs you dearly now to display the character and nature of God himself. Right? Your reward will be great. God will reward you. Now, that's what should motivate us to love even our enemies. 
the reward promised to us and being called the sons of the Most High, showing some reflection of His glory. But wait, there's even more to the text. What truth supports the reality of our reward and our sonship? What grounds that motivation? The last phrase of verse 35 says, For he is kind to the ungrateful and the evil. And therefore, because he's kind, verse 36 says, You sons and daughters of the Most High, be merciful, even as your Father is merciful. Because he's been kind to you and shown you mercy, be merciful. For your father is merciful. So what's he saying to us? If you want to love more like this, if you want that unique inside of the community of Christ kind of love, dwell upon, treasure the reality that the father has been merciful to you. Treasure that reality, and he'll have your heart. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Son, daughter, your heavenly Father is kind in his nature, and he acts kindly and merciful to you. Do you treasure that reality? If so, then it can move you to love even your enemies. And then as you grow in treasuring, you grow in loving. This is what Paul used to teach the Ephesian church how to love like Jesus loves. And I'm, I'm, I'm saying this in part because I want you to know the apostles, what they, it's not unique. Ephesians 4, 31 through 5, 2 says, let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another as God and Christ forgave you. Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children. Be imitators of Him. Be merciful as your Father is merciful. Be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love as Christ loved us. How should we walk in love? As Christ loved us and gave himself for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. It's nothing new. In knowing the truth about who he is and what he's done for us in Christ, who, who loved us and gave himself for us by loving that truth and being in love with the merciful Father, we are empowered to be a reflection of him. You can't just decide one day, all of a sudden, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be more loving and think you've got the strength in yourself. It has to come from God. And he enables that as you treasure God, beholding his glory, you're being transformed from one degree of glory to the next. And this comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. Beholding his glory, you are being transformed. So behold his glory, treasure that glory and that beautiful truth. Now, if you're not yet a follower of Christ, but you want to be a son or daughter, Jesus tells you to repent and believe. Jesus tells you that he has a great love for you. He was, right, he was a righteous man, but took your punishment for sin upon himself by dying on the cross. 
He was buried, but three days later was alive, walking and talking, seen by over 500 people. And then he ascended into heaven where he reigns as our king. Repent and believe that good news that you can be a son or daughter through the work of Christ. Turn to Christ and trust him for the forgiveness of your sins. So what's the answer to our question? What is the source for this countercultural love? It's God himself. God himself is the source for this countercultural love, motivating you by helping you see what Christ has done for you. And in fact, let's dwell on that a little bit more. Jesus is the one who loved his enemies perfectly. Wouldn't you agree? Jesus loved his enemies perfectly. He did good to us, though we were haters of him. When people with hearts just like ours back then, unredeemed hearts, hated him, despising his words and challenging, as he was challenging the status quo of of the religion of his day and of those who were walking irreligiously, as he challenged that, he revealed our need for repenting from sins, and he loved us. He did good to us. He didn't leave us in our sin. He blessed us, the undeserving, leaving behind all the pleasures that he had in heaven to take on flesh so that he could come and be a blessing to us so that we could have every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. While he hung on the cross, he prayed for the people that were abusing him and jeering him and mocking and taunting him. New City Church, this is your king. He prayed, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. We could go on. He turned the other cheek. He died with nothing to his name, not even his cloak or tunic. He gave of himself fully, exhausting himself in ministry for needy people. Though Judas stole from the group's money bag, Jesus didn't demand it repaid. He lived the golden rule, doing exactly what was needed to enable us or loving our neighbor. He did that. He did what he did to enable that. He fulfilled the golden rule. So certainly, certainly Jesus is the perfect son of the Most High, whose reward in heaven is great. He perfectly pleased his Father in all that he did to redeem sinners like us. And in his mercy, he gives the reward of being counted righteous to those of us united to him by faith. Trust him. Treasure him. Give him your heart. So let's move a little bit more toward application. Why did Jesus do this? Yes, it was to save us, but it was to transform and create this community, create a a countercultural community, people who live a set apart life, that we would then tell the world what Jesus is like and display for them what Jesus is like. People who look to Jesus to operate with a power from outside of themselves. Now, while the text doesn't tell us this explicitly, we know that Jesus later promised that he would send the Holy Spirit, the helper. 
The indwelling Holy Spirit is the benefit, is a benefit that Jesus bought for us by his life, death, and resurrection. He lives inside of us, enables us. He stirs our affections for God. He gives us new desires that honor and please the Father. He didn't purchase this benefit for us to put on a shelf, but so that we would walk by the Spirit and stoke the fire of the Spirit living in us. So he wants us to grow in strength of the Spirit. How do we do that? We mentioned already dwelling upon the truths like this while we're in his presence. You do this throughout the week. It doesn't have to be just on Sunday mornings, right? Do this as you read through the community Bible reading. Um, it, pray through those scriptures that we're reading. Talk about those with God. Prepare for battle. No, anticipating the, the struggles that are to come. Storing God's word in your heart. Being ready for battle. Treasuring those truths. Knowing that we need to stir our faith throughout the week. In closing, we've already mentioned the challenge to pursue this reality of love, not just an appearance of love or the, having some you know, saving of face, uh, but to pursue the reality, both as individuals and for us as a church as a whole. It should also be an encouragement for us to actively love those around us that are opposed to our ideas, the, the centrality of Christ, the, the necessity of faith in Christ to be saved, those that would challenge and, and hate us for those very things that God calls us to. One other application I want to make as we close, and I'll, I'll leave you with this. I think that if we could choose only one thing to send you away with, it would be something for you as you gather with your MCs. As your MCs gather throughout the week, missional communities gather throughout the week, it's a great place to dig into this and make it very personal for you, helping one another, sharpening one another as, as we gather. So this week, as you gather, dwell upon Jesus' own fulfillment of what it is that he's called us to. Ask each other to help that truth be more and more beautiful to you and appealing. You could say, this just seems not as bright and shiny as it should seem. Being the greatest truth in all the world is dull to me. Help me see more clearly the beauty. Share with one another how it encourages your heart to see Jesus, the perfect Son of the Most High, perfectly loving His enemies and fulfilling the golden rule. Showing mercy to people like us. Help one another. Encourage one another by seeing, sharing how it helps you. And then ask God to work in you something that you cannot do on your own. To have the kind of love that loves even enemies for the glory of Christ. This is a kind of love that pursues their good. The good of enemies in the face of their hatred. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, you are great and you're the son of the most high. Thank you for loving us perfectly. Thank you for perfectly showing mercy to us. Lord, we know that we 
did not begin life as people who trusted you. And God, we struggle even today to trust you with all that we have, all that we are. So God, we ask that the truth of our Lord dying on a cross and praying for us, doing good to us, even when we couldn't return it, would be great to us today. Transform, transform our hearts, our lives from the inside out and help us in some way to reflect the kind of love that you have to people around us and not just those that can love us back but even our enemies. Help us to show mercy and kindness as you've shown mercy and kindness to us. Strengthen us for this, Lord, by your spirit, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen.